previously on Fearless. And then, of course, March 2020 hit, and everybody was scrambling. To not underplay it, it's heartbreaking. I don't know how to process the loss of life, the loss of jobs, the loss of homes. People don't realize, you know, when you take somebody's livelihood away, the implications that may have. From Texas Tech University, we bring you Fearless, a podcast featuring the untold stories of the school we love so dearly. In this episode, we feature the dreamers, the visionaries, the ones who used or found their gifts during a global pandemic. These are the stories of how we welcomed the challenge and worked together as one, fighting against one enemy, us versus COVID. This is episode five, Breakthrough. Can we all just take a breath for a second to look back and appreciate that we have all come a long way? Our world, our society, our culture, everything from our habits to our lifestyles has evolved. That evolution has made us more aware, hopefully more compassionate, more determined, and more moved by the human spirit. I'd like to take you to 18th Street and Texas Tech Parkway. It's where we meet Cassie Christopher and Sophia Chapman, sitting together at a table in the unusually quiet atrium inside the School of Law. Their roles are very different, but they complement each other well. Sophia is the Associate Dean of Student Life, Cassie the Associate Dean for Bar Success. Sophia showed up apologizing profusely. She was a mere two and a half minutes late, which I would not consider to be late, by the way. Anyway, she had an issue with her garage door, found a solution on YouTube, of course, and she made it, thankfully. Sophia is meticulous and organized. She does not like being late. I saw a quick YouTube, and then as I said, I was like, okay, I can do this. Is YouTube the repository for all human knowledge? Let me tell you. I think it what? is. That was Cassie, and I have to say that I agree. These women are exceedingly kind. Their primary goal as leaders in the School of Law is to create a culture where students are provided for, where they're encouraged, where they succeed. If you're listening with little to no knowledge about law school, same. Before I talked to Sophia and Cassie, I didn't even know what I didn't know. They taught me a lot in the hour that we spoke. I learned that law school is expensive in a different way than I expected. It's taxing on a whole other level. And here's what I mean. So preparing for the bar exam is, of course, the three-year process of being a law student. You learn a lot while you're in law school that helps you on the bar exam. They take a cram course to study for the bar exam. Those can be upwards of $4,000. So you graduate from law school and sign up immediately for eight to ten weeks of studying and studying alone. I'm talking a full-time job consisting of reading, memorizing, testing, studying, sleep, more studying. Cram sessions are mostly online anyway, so the virtual world didn't affect that part much. But because there was this whole other added level, layer of stress and anxiety, the uncertainty of what am I working toward during COVID was really tremendous. So let's say you do take it, though. Students who graduate in May take the test in July. 
but they don't get results until November. What that means is graduating in May and having no attorney salary until, best case scenario, just about Thanksgiving. And that's if you pass the first time. If you don't, the next bar exam takes place in February, meaning another cram session in December and January. Now, I don't know about you, but I cannot imagine the stress of this. In a normal year, throw in a global pandemic, and wow. We started to hear about the bar exam and what that was going to look like and trying to hear, and I can let Cassie feel free to jump in, trying to hear like from New Mexico and Texas, what were they going to do and how are we going to start to help these students? Well, the stress and anxiety that students experienced in 2020 and for the February bar exam in 2021 as well was significantly higher than in normal years. So the bar exam is always stressful. In the best case scenario, the bar exam is incredibly stressful. And everyone who comes to law school is a type A overachiever. Otherwise, they would have done something else with their lives. There was so much back and forth that existed across the entire country regarding bar exams. Would they be rescheduled or canceled completely? Should I continue with cram sessions or give up altogether? There were so many questions. So 2020 was an unusual year, and um, for reasons that are perhaps too boring for your listeners, but um, we don't normally have a a large group of students take the New Mexico bar exam. Students typically take the bar in the state they'd like to practice. It's where you're certified. Unless you take the UBE, the Uniform Bar Exam. Then you can practice in a number of states that accept the UBE certification. There were 39 to be exact. Nebraska, South Carolina, Utah, Colorado, Washington, Oregon, Idaho, North Dakota, Arkansas, Missouri, Ohio, Wyoming, Montana, West Virginia, Alabama. You get it. And in 2020, Texas was not one of those states. But New Mexico was. So for those of us in Lubbock, Albuquerque is not that far. And so most of our students elected to go take the uniform bar exam in New Mexico that summer. To their credit, the Board of Bar Examiners in New Mexico arranged for for multiple locations where there were no more than four examinees in a room. So they tested 400 people in in 40 different rooms. Did I do that math right? It's 100 rooms, but you get the picture. To accommodate the 400 students from across the country in Albuquerque to sit for the bar. Whereas normally they would get a convention center and everyone would just be sitting, you know, on like the floor of a basketball arena or something. As you can imagine, this would take a lot of precise coordination. Cassie and Sophia told us one story about a test that was administered in a hotel. The students would take the test in hotel rooms with the door open. An administrator would walk up and down the hall overseeing them. The things we did during COVID. COVID procedures and restrictions varied by the state. And you may remember that New Mexico was strict. So to host an event as important, as life-shaping as the bar, it would be quite the task. Individuals from out of state were required to quarantine for 14 days when they arrived. And that included students from Texas Tech there to sit for the bar. Yeah, so 58 went um, to take the exam in uh, New Mexico. Um, Of the 58, we assisted with funding to help them, 50 students. um, We assisted 50 students with housing and food needs and gas and travel to get there. Because Um, New Mexico at the time had a two-week quarantine. So anyone coming into the state of New Mexico was required to quarantine themselves for two solid weeks before interacting Mm -hmm. with anyone. And the Board of Bar Examiners announced you were going to have to prove before you could sit for the exam that you had been quarantining in New Mexico for two weeks. So they wanted to see hotel bills and when you checked in and that sort of stuff. So Sophia and Cassie helped nearly 60 students prepare for the UBE in New Mexico. Most stayed in hotels. 
others in Airbnbs, and a few with family. They got $75,000 donated to help with food and housing. It was a big to-do. A lot of people, a lot of time, nights with little sleep, and hours and hours and hours of planning. A lot of it by Sophia, who spent days on the phone negotiating hotel costs. And it paid off. Because what happened in New Mexico is remarkable. That story's coming up on Fearless. It's a calm Tuesday afternoon outside the sub. So what's your major? I'm pre-nursing, so I don't have a declared major because I'm applying to nursing school in the fall. That is so cool. Thank you. I actually want to do forensic nursing. That's where we're sitting with Gabby Hansard. She's only had one year of college under her belt, so she's young. I was impressed with her. I'm actually uh, doing undergraduate research right now. I was at the lab this morning. Would you like to see some pictures? Yes, please. I would love to. It's the Institute of Environment. Her first year on campus was complicated. She graduated high school in Waco in the spring of 2020. She didn't get the normal high school send-off. No prom, no graduation. Then she comes to Tech, no conventional freshman year. But you can hear that she's upbeat. And as a student, she's devoted. Everything releases like specific volatile organic compounds. Yeah, Gabby is smart and driven. She knows what she's looking for, and she knows who she is. She wanted to find a place to spread her wings, and Texas Tech had everything she wanted. Especially in a non-COVID year, she is thirsty for a challenging educational experience and a social one. Without that, there is no college experience, quite honestly. Um, like, don't get me wrong, there's, I'm sure there's some people who fun- function fine with like more limited contact and they're just um, focused wholly on their schoolwork, but that's not really a fulfilling way to live. But it's, it's absolutely crucial for the college experience. Without it, it's just seems really bland. She met people by getting involved, everywhere she could. But it wasn't without some roadblocks. Her roommate never showed up for school. She emailed and called and never got a reply. So that was that. Part of me did miss out on getting that close bond that you share with a roommate. Um, It definitely wasn't what I expected. Um, You kind of build up this expectation based on what you hear from other people, what you see in the media of what college is going to be like, and then, you, and then you go there, especially in a time like this, and it's completely different. It wasn't a bad different, but it was different. I can tell that Gabby's persistent, though. She wasn't going to let much prevent her from getting everything she hoped for from this place. So signing up for student orgs, it was really difficult, and I felt really disconnected because everything was virtual. You couldn't meet students that had things in common with you. Um, so that made it a little difficult. It was like, I'm in this organization, but I'm not physically getting connected. She started her own peer review program within her college. She met regularly with other pre-nursing students, and that helped keep her motivated, even when things were weird and disconnected. So I would say it was a little bit of a dry season in my life. Um, obviously, I like made little mistakes here and there and ups and downs. Um, it was a little hard to meet people at first, um, but making friends takes time. She's right about that. No student organizations were meeting in person. Few classes were offering anything in person, but she persisted. And as campus started to open back up, she felt the validation she needed, that this was home. I know that this is where I'm meant to be. I'm really like convinced of that. Um, I mean, and tech is great academically. I mean, um, I had done research about like the nursing school um, after I was admitted and after I decided to come. And I found out it was number two in the state. I was like, wow, like I, I'm gonna be going here, you know? So it's definitely where I've been called to be. And I absolutely love it here. I mean, I, <laughs> I bleed red and black. You remember Elisa Wong. 
She's interim dean and a professor in the Honors College. But during COVID, she expanded her job duties. Thinking back, it feels like a lifetime ago. In January and February of 2020, she was watching reports of COVID building momentum in Asia. The alert of a mysterious illness was circulating to Wuhan's hospitals. China has reported a 50% rise in the number of people who've died of COVID-19. I have been following the situation very carefully because, of course, I am Chinese-American, but I'm also an Italianist by training. I, I do modern Italian history. A couple of weeks after Wuhan, right, um, broke out, the, the epidemic in, in Wuhan broke out, and we kind of watched in horror we were watching the cases also build in Milan and that's where the center of my research is is in Milan and in Rome but um, in in Lombardy in the north of Milan we were seeing astronomical um, numbers of COVID cases and it was personal for a lot of reasons and that sparked a drive in her see Elisa isn't one for idle hands she's a planner a worker a leader she had access to students and faculty that she knew could make a difference and that's exactly what they did. In Italy, as the situation became more and more and more serious, their engineers were coming up with different ways to solve the shortages. So they were trying to 3D print their own face shields. And I was texting um, my teaching partner, John Carroll, who is a professor of engineering here in the Honors College. And so I kept sending him these articles saying, can we do this? Right. Like, you know, is this a possibility? And so this was even before we had our first case in Lubbock. I was sending him these links asking because he has a 3D printing lab in the Honors College. Is this a possibility? And so we were just having these private conversations. She was making a plan. They all were. And when the time came, they felt ready. As ready as you can be. She had a premonition of how COVID would impact Lubbock and the panhandle. She had a feeling that it would look quite different here at home than other places across the state. And I knew that if it hit West Texas, it was going to hit us really differently than anywhere else. Um, Because Houston, Dallas, Austin, San Antonio, major cities, major hubs, um, they were going to have enormous numbers. Um, And I was guessing that most likely all of the resources would go to those very, very large receiving hospitals. Here in West Texas, right, Lubbock is the hub, right? We are the people for five, you know, five, five hours circumference, right? They would be coming to us. But she wasn't intimidated by that. In fact, I think she welcomed the challenge of it. Even a professor would admit that the greatest teacher in life is life itself. Things became real in late March on a date that Elisa says she cannot and forget. I remember very clearly it was March 22nd because that's my son's birthday. Um, we had a small gathering of his friends over for dinner, um, just four or five, right, within kind of like the limits of, of what the city had had um, advised. And as we were having dinner, that's when the ordinance came down that we would not be returning to campus. This was it. They'd been waiting for the right time to take action, and it was now. Simon organized a meeting. We all met on Zoom for the very first time, so that was before... That's Simon Williams. He's with the School of Medicine at the Texas Tech Health Sciences Center. So that was before we knew how to mute or share screens or any of those good things. Um, So Simon was really the one who started organizing us, and... Um, John Carroll had all of those. I'd sent him a bunch of like open source files for 3D printing, and he started printing brims for, for face shields. Um, he started using a 3D printer to make prototypes of brims for face shields. Now, these brims extend about two inches from the forehead, with two prongs on either side to attach a plastic shield. They're kept on your face with a piece of elastic that wraps around the back of your head. 
And as Elisa expected, requests were not just coming in from Lubbock hospitals, but medical centers across from, West Texas. Um, Dr. Hillman from, from um, Monaghan's, who wrote to us and he said, look, you guys are the nearest university to us. I you know, am in the, the town of Monaghan's. I have one ventilator. What do I do? He searched through his closets, right? Like every closet in the hospital, right? Um, in this small town. And he was, he was just looking to protect his people. He found two other ventilators, transport ventilators from the 1970s that he pulled out of his closet ready. And he said, I have no face shields for, for my people. Um, and within three days, we had printed about um, two dozen face shields. They quickly graduated to developing other hospital equipment, intubation chambers and splitters, more and more and more face shields. In the end, they developed and shipped off more than 20,000 face shields and 3,000 chambers. Students in the Honors College were coming in daily to produce these. It's important to mention here that they did get special approval to work on these projects on campus. Strict guidelines and social distancing were essential for students and faculty that were working together. When we get to this part of the conversation, Elisa was sure to emphasize how much of a group effort this was. Hundreds of people got involved. Joe Hepbert from the last episode, well, he worked with faculty to gather and donate PPE that was just sitting in labs during the months that they were unable to conduct research projects. There was a lot of personal protective equipment that was going to be sitting idle in laboratories. We recognized that there was important protective equipment available where there were shortages, huge shortages starting to show up in the healthcare community. The response was over, really overwhelming. I mean, we had, we had well over 100,000 pairs of gloves donated. Elisa and Joe both learned something important about the people around them. We're not the healthcare professionals. We're not on the front lines. We cannot ease the burden on our nurses and doctors, but we can damn well do what we can to help protect them. I am so proud of the generosity um, of, this, of this group. There were hundreds of people, hundreds of people who were involved in doing this. They were picking up speed, using dozens of 3D printers across the city to produce these shields. The work that started on campus was expanding into the homes of Lubbock businesses and families, into the heart of a young boy. But the best story is there was this little kid, he was in middle school, he had one 3D printer. And so it takes a long time, right? Because it prints kind of like line by line. He could make 11 a week. And every Tuesday, we knew his mom would be coming by to drop off his 11 brims. And he was playing his part. And to this day, it makes me tear up, right? Because, you know, here's this 11-year-old who is saying, what can I do to help? How can I not be isolated in my home? How can I actually give back? And what he could do was one brim at a time, 11 at a time, he brought them to the Honors College so that we could make these face shields that would protect our nurses and doctors across West Texas. The fact that an 11-year-old had the wherewithal to say, I can help, I can help, right, gives me so much hope for the future, makes me believe that the next generation, they've got this in the bag. As we face the reality of quarantine in our homes or apartments, 58 Texas Tech law students were completing their study sessions from hotel rooms, Airbnbs, or with family in Albuquerque, New Mexico. They used the same space for sleep, study, 
meals, rest time, recovery, more and more studying. And after those two weeks, they'd leave for the first time to sit for the most important exam of their lives. There was a 100% pass rate for students who sat for this New Mexico bar. All 58 of them, an exceptional feat. It was cause for celebration for Cassie and Sophia, but there was more to the story for them more behind the scenes. So I think it's really important to acknowledge while we are proud and thrilled for our alums who passed the bar exam during the COVID pandemic, I also want to recognize immediately those who were not able to pass the bar exam because they weren't even able to sit for it. Yeah, That's a good point that you made is that we saw, unfortunately, the differences in, in equity and access. And that's that was hard for, I know, both Cassie and I. College students who just completed seven years of school go on for weeks without a job, without the opportunity to support themselves financially. And that is a hard reality for Cassie, Sophia, and others. Can I, can I pause you yeah. to just be the Debbie Downer of this conversation? We had 100% of our students who graduated in 2020 and sat for the New Mexico bar exam, 100% of them passed the New Mexico bar, and we're thrilled about that. Part of that is because the students who did not have the financial and emotional resources to take the exam deferred yeah. and did not sit for the exam. There were roughly a dozen students who deferred. Some of these students opted out and sat in February. Others took the whole COVID year off before taking the exam in July of 2021. They may never sit for the bar exam. So Cassie and Sophia are impacted by this. It's their belief that money does not make a good lawyer and financial resources shouldn't play a role in a student's ability to become one. Here's what I mean. In any circumstances, in any year, the bar exam tests a lot of skills that are not necessary to be a lawyer. One of them being, can you afford to not work for four months straight? Mm -hmm. So in many ways, the bar exam is a test of your financial resources more than what's between your ears. And COVID amplified that. I felt that. And sitting down with these women heightened the respect that I have for any person studying law. I think for me, with a few that I've talked to, they've said, you know, Dean Chapman, I didn't think I was going to make it and then wait for the results and trying to figure out. Can you imagine studying for years and being so close to your future being determined? Then a global pandemic none of us could argue with and none of us could change changes everything for you. And so trying to have those conversations that that was okay and that that was going to be okay for you. What does that do for a young person's identity? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What a question. Yeah, you know, it... There were a lot of... They were beating themselves up, you know, and I'm not as good or, you know, shame, you know, that I don't... And because we have more, you know... Um, incoming first-year students, first-generation students that don't have. It becomes an access and an equity issue. Yeah, we're proud of their resilience. And, we are proud and of their incredibly resilience. proud of what they have overcome in order to become practicing lawyers. Yeah. Sophia and Cassie were moved by those students, the way that they responded and adapted, and what they saw from students who took the exam was powerful, too. A lot of law students across the country, a lot of law graduates, I should say, who passed the bar exam during the pandemic have become vocal advocates to abolish the stupid thing uh, and that there shouldn't be a bar exam to, uh, to enter the profession. It's called diploma privilege, and I've been really enjoying mm-hmm. sort of the diploma privilege advocacy that we're mm-hmm. seeing from a lot of 2020 graduates. Mm-hmm. Many students have taken the single thing that threatened to break them and found something in themselves, something that made them better, 
and gave them hope to create a better future for others. Next time on Fearless. Once you've crossed the Rubicon, there ain't no going back. The past 18 months really highlighted the value of our TTU community. I think we we really went down two paths. One, what are the decisions going to be? And then figure out how we're going to communicate it. There was over 25,000 tests done throughout last year. Yeah, and I had COVID. It was, I felt like I was going to die. Like, yeah, anything to not get it again. Like I'm one step closer to not being worried. Fearless is produced by the Texas Tech Office of Communications and Marketing. It's hosted by me, Taylor Peters, with special help from Allison Hurth. Fearless is a Texas Tech production. From here, it's possible. Hey everyone, it's Taylor. Thanks for listening to Fearless. Don't forget to like, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.